Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition, and today we're titling this one The House of Cards. I got with me, of course, Chuck Nice, Jet. Hey, Neil. Yeah, yeah. So, though you are a stand up comedian, you have some tremendous sports fluency. So, that's a good thing. Just want to put it out yeah. there, give you it's some props. probably for the that. only fluency I might have. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Too much information. Cause or because you're working, still working on that comedy thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I got Gary O'Reilly. Gary, former soccer pro from the UK. Hey. Thank you. Always Neil. good to have you here. Good to be here. And, yeah, yeah. And I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And let me just give a, a brief overview of where we're going to go on this show. Because uh, I'd like to say the stakes are high because the theme is poker. Poker and uh, Red so Hot. Who's the famous poker? I guess uh, James Bond would would like his uh, chips stirred, not <laughs> whatever. No, he played shake, shake him not stirred. Oh, baccarat. That's he right. Played, he played baccarat. That's yes. right. And, and, and of course, crap, uh, uh, craps, and and maybe sometimes the roulette. But yeah, yes. less on the poker table, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we'll also find out what state. Space complexity is. I don't. I, I don't know what that is. We're going to find out. And whether Nash's theory of equilibrium. This is the famous mathematician from Princeton, for which he got a Nobel Prize. Whether it's a key component in a winning hand. And we we'll also wonder whether probabilities and thinking about them can be an asset in life, or are they just confusing and you should ignore them? And mm -hmm. so all this is going to happen in this program. And we've got uh, several experts. One of them in particular is Liv Bory. Liv, welcome to Star Talk. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, yeah, you're our first guest today, and you're a TV presenter. I get get your resume here. A writer, science communicator. Love science communicators. We need more of them. Get, let's get more of them, and then I can go to the Bahamas, okay, and leave you all. <laughs> That's what I want here. Right. You're a former championship professional poker player and an advocate of effective altruism. That's good. That's good. And also, of course, when you have that much stuff going for you, they get you on TED. You get a TED Talk here. So uh, you had a first-class honors degree in physics and astrophysics. Love it. There it is. My people. My people going out to the world. The University of Manchester. And what else? Did I hear? World Series of Poker and European Poker Tour champion. Have I seen you playing poker on TV? I must have. You might have done. Right? I don't know if you've watched. If you watched a bit of it, then you might have seen me. Yeah. Um, I have to see if you have shifty eyes here, just so I'll know. Definitely. <laughs> well, figure th- do you do you have do you have a poker face, Liv? Is there is there an actual poker face that you don don' while you're at the table? I mean, you're looking at it. Um, everyone always <laughs> okay. thinks that a poker face is about being completely stoic and robotic, which to be fair, like that, if you're starting out, that's a good way to conduct yourself at the table because it's just easier to maintain. But really what a good poker face is, is just being relaxed and natural and showing that you're comfortable even when you're not. Um, why not? Why, why can't a poker face be the opposite of what kind of hands you got. If you got a two, four, uh-huh. six, and seven, right? All different suits. You look at it, and then you're like, that'll right. just freak everybody you out, just right? look around a table and be like, you gonna lose, yeah. you gonna lose. <laughs> I mean, sure, you could do that. But the thing is, is that then, if I'll very quickly catch on, it'll be quite obvious to your opponents that you're doing that when you have bad hands, and you're doing a scared face when you have good hands. So we'll just... We'll just adapt accordingly. No, so, you just have you just have a portfolio of faces you draw yes. from. Well, that's the thing. If you time. can if you can randomize well uh, between you know okay in this in this situation I'm going to be fifty I'm going to be fifty fifty doing or seventy percent of the time doing my scared face and thirty percent of the time doing my happy face. Um, right. And you can perfectly randomize that. Then yes, you're being unpredictable, but. In reality, it's very hard for humans to to be so, random. To randomize. <laughs> what will happen is you'll get baseball coaches given the, the pr- probabilities of what you're doing per hand, right. and then they'll talk about, you know, because they have people who shift places on the field. If mm-hmm. you always pull the ball, they're all on the left side of the field, right? And so I, I keep thinking, why don't you just punch it the other way and you get a base hit every time? But then they would learn that and then exactly. compensate. So yeah. there, there you have There's it. There's probably a so, Nash equilibrium is- for that. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But tell me first, what is state space complexity? Oh, state space. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, state space complexity is uh, one of many different measures of the complexity of a uh, of a situation. Specifically, it's it's used to describe the complexity of games. Um, it's it's one measure of that. So what it technically means is like the number of possible. Uh, states that a, a game can legally be in from start to finish. So, you know, you're playing tic-tac-toe. Um, it's a grid of three by three. Um, that corresponds to a, around, I think there's somewhere around 700 or so possible moves. So that's its state-space complexity is 700. And then a game like chess um, with its, you know, its uh, eight by eight board, that has a state-space complexity of about 10 to the 40. So as you can imagine, because of combinatorics, the numbers scale up really fast, depending on sort of the number of possible positions and the different types of pieces and so on. So that's why four-year-olds can play tic-tac-toe and, and not chess. Right. I mean, yeah, it, it, it yeah. generally corresponds to sort of 
and not always to the difficulty of the game, but certainly for the difficulty of the game um, when it comes to building an AI to play it. Um, and oh. and it, if you sort of look at the history of, of AI um, over time where it's been pitted against humans in different types of games, um, mm-hmm. it's... it's the, the more simple the game, the earlier it was either solved or sort of, def- you know, the best humans were defeated. So like tic-tac-toe right. um, was technically solved by a computer back in like 1952, I think. Um, Connect 4 was somewhere in the 90s. And then chess, uh, Deep Blue, uh, beat Gary right. Kasparov in like 97. And then there was a big gap. And then you might have seen the the uh, AlphaGo documentary. But that, that one was a big deal because Go, its state-space complexity yeah. is 10 to the 170. So right. just that is crazy, huh? Astronomical. All right, so now what, what would Poker Wait, wait, just, be? I have to put in. Wait, wait, wait. Everybody Go ahead. Stop. I have to uh, put sorry. in. Go ahead. Uh, the, the name Google, when spelled correctly, is the number, you know, 10 to the 100th power. Yes. So if if anybody's going to solve something that's got at least 10 to the 100th things going on in it, it's going to be the company Google. That's a good point, yeah. And Google, G-O-O-G-O-L. I was going to say, but don't they name. spell it wrong? They can't yeah, they spell even, it wrong. They, they can't, can't even spell, spell it. Wrong. That was early yeah. when they didn't know how to spell it. Now they don't. Now that is how you spell it. <laughs> There you go. Oh my God! That's how that you is do that. So true. That that's how you do that. You how, that is how you spell it now. Oh my God! That's hilarious. So tell me about the Nash theory of equilibrium. Uh, when I was at Princeton, I spent some years there. So I just see him walking, not talking to anybody, just kind of with his head down, sort of bobbing in in contemplation, solving the mysteries of the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me, how does that? How does Nash theory of equilib- Nash equilibrium? Um, because, all right, it's one thing to know the state complexity of a game, but mm-hmm. so what? Right. what right. Oh, okay, AI needs to know about it, fine. But now you want to strategize given that fact. So tell us about the Nash theory of equilibrium. Yeah, so uh, a Nash equilibrium is basically the the way you would describe, like, um, you know, say you and I are playing uh, poker against one another just in a one-on-one game. In theory, there's. I will. I would lose. Clearly, I would lose. Just put that. Oh, well, maybe maybe over the maybe over the the long term, but you could win in the short term because <laughs> um, there's a bit of luck in there, which we will yeah. discuss later. But um, so if we're playing, um, technically there's a strategy, a sort of a strategy that I could employ, where it's so, it, it's so sort of perfect that, um, your only option is to adopt a similar strategy against me. And when we're both doing that, um, we're basically breaking even against one another over over the long run. And it means, and and the reason why it's an equilibrium is because it is not, there is no other strategy that either one of us could sort of try and do um, in order to improve our situation. So it's basically a sort of stalemate effectively. Um, And what it means is basically we're, we're unable to exploit one another any further, and, and we're going to be breaking it. Is Nash equilibrium apply only to people interacting in games and other sort of people-based systems? Or does, because then just call it the Nash stalemate, right? Uh, but equilibrium, equilibrium has a lot of use. That word means a lot in physics, you of know. Of course. And so to hear that a physics term get used at a poker table, I find a little disturbing. Well, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be between people. It can be between, technically it's between agents, so an agent could be an AI. It's anything that is... Right. It um, could be two computers playing one another. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if they're Absolutely. programmed the same way, then they've reached yes. that stalemate position, right? Right, mm. exactly. And, and so what it is, it's just basically a mathematical solution. 
Um, right. I don't know if it's, oh, okay. it's okay. technically like, yeah. a, like a local minima, I guess, um, and possibly a maxima. Um, but the point is, is that it, all it, th- it means is that neither one of us could try and do something differently to what we're doing and expect to make more money. Um, in fact, if we did that, the other one would now be able to start exploiting us because they're technically playing this perfect strategy. No, I've, I've been hogging you this whole time. Chuck, uh, t- no, and I, I Gary, just take, to, a, no, take it right, over. No, I was just intrigued by that conversation you guys were having because with, with respect to poker, there is always an X factor. So every hand has a built-in probability because... There's only a certain number of cards, right? So if, let's look at the equilibrium. You and I are exactly matched. The X factor is how I'm able to manipulate you psychologically. Nope. How do you account for that? Nope, wait, wait, Chuck, did you just invent the X factor here in this conversation? Or is this a known? No, I'm just very... inventing it. He's just making it up. I'll show you he's just making it up. <laughs> I'm making okay. this up right now. <laughs> the X factor. Okay, Chuck. No, it, it, by definition, it's already encompassing any possible X factor you could think of. Otherwise, if, 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 if I hadn't encompassed it, if there was something that you could do, some X factor you could suddenly pull out um, right. to exploit me, then I'm not playing a perfect, I'm not playing what's called game theory optimal. Um, I forgot to mention that before. So it's called a game theory optimal strategy um, where you're unexploitable okay. by your opponent. And the only thing so, you can do... Uh, uh, so this works in a laboratory because in real life, I could never know you so well as a human being that I could account for every single thing that you might do. However, for the most part, it, you know, you you can get really, really close. But could I... Are you saying that... Human beings, just like machines, can be predictable right down to the thought that you are going to have. Well, it's not so much about, it's, it's not, if you're playing game theory optimal or an AI is playing game theory optimal poker, it's, it's not saying that it can perfectly predict what the opponent's uh, what their opponent's going to do. It's not making a statement about that. All it's saying is that it's playing a strategy that has without getting too much into the weeds it's like a per- it's it's perfectly randomized uh between like bluffing and not bluffing depending on the gotcha. each little sort of minutiae uh, decision point um whereby the opponent cannot take advantage of that um so it's not okay. it's, it's not right. that it's perfectly it- um and 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 it works it works dep- it's it's actually independent of the type of player you're playing against but the interesting thing is just because you're playing game theory optimal uh, and so therefore you're not um you're not your opponents aren't able to exploit you. What it also means is that you could be missing out on certain things that they are doing. Like, say we're playing rock paper scissors, and you don't know anything about me. the The best, you know, your 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 best option is to just perfectly randomize between the three, because that way right. you're not. I, I can't predict anything that you're going to do. You just use a random number generator and 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 thirty three percent each different thing. Um, but if we're doing that for a while, and then you notice that actually I pl- I throw rock every time, well now you'd be stupid to c- carry on randomizing because you're missing right. out on this opportunity to throw paper every time and exploit my dumb play. So that's sort of this difference, um, and that's a situation where you'd want to deviate from your past sort of game theory optimal strategy in order to sort of capture all this this value that I'm losing by being an idiot. So that's but, you, but it refers to two perfect players, then. I mean, that's right. the thing. That's, that's what I was saying. Yes. Like, if, yes. To be if, in a pure works. equilibrium, then yes, right. that's what you need. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, okay. that's the framework of your strategy. The real world is on the clock. So how long does it take you to put this into effect successfully? 
Well, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm retired now. So I am far, if I went and sat down at a poker table, I'm, I'd be far behind the curve of what the, you know, the latest, you know, the, the people who are getting the closest to uh, playing a game theory optimal strategy. Um, but even and interestingly, no human can actually perfectly play it. In fact, no computer can even perfectly play it. You can only sort of asymptotically approach it, kind of like, you know, the speed of light. Um, and so in terms of like how long would it take me to get to the level these days of a world, you know, a true world-class player who's who's still sort of playing and studying all the uh, game theory optimal solutions. I mean, I don't even know if I could, to be honest, these days. I've been out of the game too long. But, I mean, it would take it would take probably a few years of intense, intense studying. And I think the interesting thing about poker is that since we discovered that there are these game theory game game theory optimal solutions, these sort of mathematical solutions, the the whole sort of style of the game has very much changed. And when I got back into it back in 2005, it was still very much a sort of um, a black box. No one really understood what the mechanics of the game really were. And it was just very much more a sort of people reading, intuitive game uh, where people with sort of the, the most sort of street smarts and, and human experience were often the best just because they could pick up on weird quirks of human behavior better than their opponents. Um, but then since the lid has been lifted and we've seen the mathematical workings of the game, largely due to sort of improvements in computation and, and software, um, now the best players are the ones who just mimic computers, basically, and play in this very mathematical, semi-robotic style. And there, and there is less sort of, uh, there is less of this intuitive people reading. Although there is still some. That, that, that is a, that's a weird fact that I think requires a pause and even perhaps a moment of silence, okay? <laughs> we play poker, we invent a computer that's better at poker than we are, and then we imitate the computer. <laughs> that's just, just let us give a moment of silence for the human mind there. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> because the we are no longer the best thinkers on this. What we that. invented as a thinker is the best thinker. Right. That's and what, what Neil weird. is really saying is, let us have a moment of silence for the death of the human race. <laughs> <laughs> because That's, it's over for you. It's over. That's it's the beginning over. of the overlord. There you go. <laughs> Era. You know, we're, right. we're moving into the Nova scene, as uh, James yeah. calls it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you play, everybody seems to play poker online. So therefore, you don't need a poker face, right? Because <laughs> you're not looking at people, or are you? And then. Basically, you've got no chance of physical tells. There's no, oh, I have a twitch. They scratch their nose, whatever. Is, is that is that why it's all disappearing? Because poker's played online so much now. Um, oh, good one. Yeah, great question. Mm. Um, yeah. To an extent, yes. Um, as you correctly said, you can't physically see your opponent, so there is none of that type of information, and so that forces you to to rely on the more mechanical information, such as like the amount that they bet. Uh, the types of cards that they bet on. Um, the only sort of read you can make in terms of sort of something physical is how long they take to click the button. You know, you can see how long they think and that can be information. Like, oh, they really thought for a long time on this one, whereas they normally act really quickly. That can be informative to an extent. Could you give us, uh, we're about to bring in a, an AI expert on, in game theory. Uh, what, what has been your experience with AI before we make that transition to our next guest? Um, my, my experience with AI is just one of a silent obsession. Um, I've just been wow. fascinated with the concept of particularly superintelligence um, sort of for the last 10 years, really, um, following 
Uh, I mean, I was introduced to it through the effective altruism community who are... Tell me about that. What, what, how does that relate to you? This is a, a, a not-for-profit that you started, is that correct? Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, so I mean, a few poker players and I started a, uh, a not-for-profit that sort of operates under the effective altruism principles. So those principles basically are, you know, we, we, there's limited resources, both time and money, that both any individual or any society or group could ever donate to philanthropic causes. And because these resources are limited, um, it's crucially important that we sort of take a really we take a step back and and sort of take stock to figure out what are not only the biggest problems but the most urgent and the most neglected, uh, the most comparatively neglected, to ensure that the money is is donated to actually the best place where you know there's the, either the strongest evidence or the highest probability of having, you know, the, the optimum impact. Um, because unfortunately, um, most philanthropy, by far the majority of philanthropy has at least historically been very um, sort of emotion-driven and, and reactionary and hasn't had... And a little bit vanity-driven, right? It's a person's pet project yeah, and they want to solve it and, they, and they're not thinking about math when they exactly. do this. Exactly. It, it hasn't... It, it deeply needed a scientific approach um, and... Fortunately, in the last 10 years, uh, a sort of combination of, of scientists and uh, business people, um, actually it was a couple of hedge fund managers really who got it going. Because they got the money, yeah. yeah. Well, sure, but they've got the money, but they've also got the, <laughs> they've, they're, they're statisticians at heart and they care about data mm -hmm. and they care about evidence. And, you know, no one bats an eyelid at a business trying to ensure that it, you know, gets the biggest bang for, for its buck. So why is it sort of... Why do people find it strange to think that charities should also try and get the biggest impact for Buck? Um, right, particularly right. when, you know, when we give to one place, that means we're not giving to somewhere else. And if that other place you would have given to was actually going to save 10 times as many lives for the same donation, it's kind of a tragedy, if you ask me, if we don't give to the right place. So based on this sort of general concept, um, there, are, there, there are a number of charities that have been identified as being by far the most cost effective in terms of like, they will say, you know, your money will just go so much further if your goal is to improve people's lives. You know, this makes so much sense. I mean, it's embarrassing. We all should be embarrassed that it wasn't around long before this. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and this is, uh, everyone out there, study your math, okay? Amen. <laughs> Don't ever say, I'll never need this again. Well, maybe you will, not that you'll need it, but you'll want it to do something innovative like yeah. uh, Liv Worry has done. Uh, and wow. the other thing you could do, Liv, is uh, just figure out a uh, way to uh, Robin Hood uh, Jeff Bezos. Just <laughs> steal from him on an annual basis amount, <laughs> an amount of money that he will not realize is missing. Yeah, just a few billion, it, that's all. And a give few, it to people who need a, it. I mean, if a they, few billion. Well, if, uh, but specifically, if, if he, with his philanthropy, um, not only, you know, it's one thing for him to do more, but even more crucially is it for him to make sure that it goes to the most uh, cost-effective right. places. That is the most, uh, right. And, that, and that's mm. the key thing. And a lot of times, because, um, you know, so much pressure is put on, like, no, do something now, give away this now. And it's like, well, it, it would surely be better for someone to take, to, to take a year to figure out, okay, where do I get 100x improvement as opposed to give it all now just because of, like, social pressure. So, you know, it, it's not as simple as give it all away now, Mr. Bezos. Um, Okay, so Ch Chuck, this is how I'd rather use the X factor. She said 100X factor, 100X improvement. Right. That's an X factor. <laughs> That's right. called. Qu In fact, you can rename it the X factors, mysterious. X factors. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, there, X factors. There yeah. you go, guys. We got to take a short break, and so we have to say goodbye. To oh, we don't want to say goodbye, player. not to Olivia. <laughs> okay, stay with us because AI expert and friend of Star Talk, Matt Ginsberg, will join us on the other side, and we'll be talking about competitive AI when Star Talk Sports Edition continues. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. This episode is brought to you by Progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition, House of Cards is the title, mm. with Chuck Nice and Gary Riley. Guys. Hey. Uh, Chuck, hey. Chuck, you're tweeting at Chuck Nice Comics. Thank you, yes. That is correct, yes, sir. Yes, and, and And Gary, my three left feet, we're still sticking with that, no matter what. We are, no matter what. <laughs> All right. Uh, in this segment, we're picking up AI and trying to see what role that plays in... In, in in gaming, in 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 probability, in making decisions, and we're going to juxtapose that with all that we learned from Liv Bory's um, uh, Liv Bory's commentary about playing poker. And I wonder if she and Matt Ginsburg are like the nemesis of each other. 
right? Because they both come at the same problems, but they could be competitors because there's gaming is a big part of this. Well, it's nice to bring in Matt Ginsburg. Matt, yes. welcome back to Star Talk. Hey, Neil. Great to be back. Yeah, and you've got this this resume where you like a young PhD at, at Oxford. That's kind of cool. Although I think we have an over fascination with young, precocious kids because um, no one, when you're older, no one says, "Boy, that was amazing! You did that before you were 40. You know, that doesn't. You know, I mean, why we have such a fascination? I'll never know, but it's there. And we had it with you at age 24, getting a PhD from Oxford in mathematics. Um, very cool. And you studied Thank computer you. science at Oxford. It's of course in the UK, and you're a scientist. I studied. I was a. I was a mathematician and a physicist. Mathematical actually, physicist. There I am you go. so old that when I was a student, you couldn't study computer science. It was oh. not yet a discipline. Man, that's oh. old. Ooh. That is really Ooh. old. Older than dirt, man, as my kids tell that's, me. Man. So the abacus, you would grease the abacus. Right. To, to, yeah. <laughs> so you had to invent computer science so other people could study it. <laughs> I, um, the first computer and I date to about the same. Really? So, Ooh. Yeah. And the first com the first commercial. The com uh, I mean, your I'm birth. I'm just too birth. old. I'm just too yeah, old. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Actually, my wife's PhD is in mathematical physics. So... Cool. Um, I get my dose of that when she when she wants to uh, think about the world uh, with that as a lens. That's, that works real good. Uh, so uh, you've provided a statistical support for sports teams, something we covered in an earlier visit that you've uh, granted us. And we loved your name of your crossword puzzle um, algorithm. Uh, please tell us the name. Dr. Phil. Yeah. That is the hell, hell. best name ever. <laughs> ever. So that was, L -L. that was my second choice. And my first choice, I asked a bunch of crossword constructors what I should call this program. And my first choice was actually Deep Clue. Oh, oh good. So and what happened to that? that? Uh, IBM uh, wouldn't uh, let I me I was going to say. because no. oh, Because blue. of Deep Blue? Yeah. Because of Deep Blue. Right. No, but so, that would be that would create resonance. The idiots there, what, what, you know. <laughs> anyway, so Doctor Phil was Doctor Phil was a very close second, and that's what we wound up calling. Oh, okay, well, yeah. all right. So, so you're a specialist in AI, I am, and general solver of hard problems, and you're now gamefully employed at Google. So, uh, tell me about um, how you think about the Nash equilibrium when you either program AI to do what you need to do or when you're thinking about gaming in general? For me, the Nash Equilibrium stuff, that's just a tool. So when you look at the work I do on statistical support for selecting a play in the NFL, you're really solving a fairly simple game with a relatively simple payoff matrix. You know, If I do a passing play and they call a blitz, what do I expect will happen? So you have this little payoff matrix, and you're just... And you know, wow! So it's, it's much simpler than than games. It's much simpler than full up games that have, you know, ten to the hundred possible states of existence, right? I think it's fair to say that if you're trying to invert a matrix ten to the hundred on a side, you're you're done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you have to whatever problem you're solving, you have to reduce it to something that's computationally tractable. All you know, right. So, so so when we think of poker, there's a you know, bluffing is a fundamental part of it. So if AI plays poker, does AI bluff? Absolutely. Or does it have to? Or does it have to? Of, of course it has to. If you don't bluff a poker, you, you suck. 
Okay. So, <laughs> so what yeah, but do part of how I bluff is I try to read my opponent. Right. I'm not playing the cards. I'm playing my opponent. Can AI do that? Potentially, or is it just calculating things? Potentially it can. I think, I mean, there's been a lot of work on poker and AI. A lot of it, um, a lot of the foundational work involved translating the poker problem into this linear optimization problem with, I believe, billions of variables and then just solving it because you can. It's not 10 to the 100th, 10 to the 9 is big enough. So you solve this giant optimization problem and it says, okay, if you're in this situation in terms of betting and you hold these cards, this is how you should bet. And it doesn't know, but it's a bluff. But it'll say, even though you know you've got unsuited two four, you should still bet a lot with this fraction, you know, this fraction of the time. So there's your bluff, and it's coming out of the fact that you're looking for a you know an optimal strategy. Oh wow! According to the Nash definition, right. so an optimal strategy could include a bluff. Is the point? It has, it has to, to right? If you if you never bluff then your opponent who, I mean, one of the nice things about the Nash Optimum is that if you tell your opponent, I am playing by the Nash Optimum, he can't exploit you. So he can play against you for days and see, oh, he's just playing the Nash Optimum. I can't exploit that. But if you're not playing the optimal strategy, he will play against you. And wow, it's like, this guy never bluffs. And that's the, cool. there's the point of exploitation, right? Correct. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. That is interesting. All right, all right, I don't want to hog Matt's questions. Chuck, Gary, what do you have for him? Okay, so we build an AI program to play poker. Simple enough. Are we cheating? Wait, wait. So we're asking here, if you were assisted by AI in a, comp yeah. in a poker competition, does that count as mm. cheating? And, and more broadly, how does AI play out in, whether, in the rules of games about whether people will declare someone's cheating or not? Interesting. What, what's the arc of that, of that, of that line of thinking? So... If you're using an AI to help you yeah. and you don't disclose it, you're, yes, you're cheating. Okay. Because you're not supposed okay. to. It's like, it's like you know, going into a high jump with rockets on your shoes. You can't do that. <laughs> I think the interesting with question. With hidden rockets. <laughs> with hidden rockets on your shoes. I think the interesting question is whether the organizers should allow it. So you go in and you do have a computer assistant. And you say, hey, I'm being assisted. Or conceivably, I just am a computer. What should the organizers do? Should they let you play or should they not let you play? Mm. Yeah, but but put one in, interlocutor in there and you have coaches attached to computers on the sideline right. giving instructions to active players who themselves are not using the AI, but the coaches are. Well, we do that in Isn't football. That the same thing? We do it in football and basketball. That the, that's my point. Isn't that the same thing mm -hmm. as you're describing, that's, Matt? Yeah. That's using the computer and not telling anybody. Just because you have some guy in the middle I mean, it's like there's this um, there's this scene in Galaxy Quest where Sigourney Weaver, her job is to when the computer says something, she repeats it to the to the crew, right? And she says it's a stupid job, but, <laughs> but somebody's, somebody's got to do right. it. And and if you're doing, you're still they're still using the computer, and the fact that Sigourney Weaver's in the middle doesn't that doesn't matter. So if you have a computer that's telling you something, and you've got a guy with a walkie-talkie passing the information in, you're still using a computer. Yeah, but that's allowed, apparently. I don't think anyone's prevented that from the beginning. They, well, I suppose they could have. No computer help. No one ever said that. They just, and, and, and by the way, even without the computer, they'd have somebody doing analytics. Baseball is rich with that as a history. So, so what if a computer now does it? And yeah, it's AI, but so, so what? Well, there's a difference between doing something offline and doing something in the game. So in a chess game, for example, you adjourn a chess game 
And now everybody's going to run to their computer and do. Is that allowed? Is that allowed? It's allowed. Um, But what you can't do is you can't have an earbud and somebody's telling you what a computer thinks you should do. That's that not seem, this seems artif- that seems like an artificial um, uh, rule boundary on this. If I can on a break, I say I gotta go pee, and I go no, that would be cheating. But if there's an official break, and because I saw this in the Queen's Gambit, right? They all yep. went and analyzed the games. Right, that's before computers, but you get other experts there, mm. and that's the same thing. That's the same thing. And and what happens? Well, the boxer between rings sits down, and the coach tells him, "Hit him here, not there." That and and so it's an AI just not a fundamentally different thing? It's just a matter of degree? I think the answer is is sort of. But I think the distinction between as the game is going on and during a break, I think is an important one. Mm. Because the bottom line is you can't police the breaks. You can't tell somebody, we're going to adjourn this chess game, come back tomorrow, and don't use a computer. How do you enforce that? How do you know? Whereas it's relatively easy to say, we don't want you using your computer while you are playing. That's, mm-hmm. that's much easier to, then you can say, you know, now take that thing out of your ear. We don't like it. But we, you can't say, you know, don't go to bed tonight. Don't go home. We'll just have a camera on you. It's too much. So I think that's a rational way to do it. I'm just thinking, do the casinos have their own AI programs? So when I, if I played poker online with AI, that they can work out, I'm cheating. Uh, actually, Gary, I, I love that, but I want to pick that up in the next segment because we just ran out of time for With this. With pleasure. Well. Yeah. With so, pleasure. So when we come back, we're going to talk about whether the house can use AI so that you don't, people like Matt don't walk in there and exploit their ignorance because of his smarts mm. when Star Talk continues. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Goodyear Auto Service takes pride in caring for your car. Get in the groove with Goodyear's technician tips. Number 13, inspect your tread. Like a podcast, you're an investigative journalist finding the cracks in the case. And number 64, pump your brakes before you crank that debate. Coming in for routine brake checks are essential for your safety. Goodyear Auto Service, here for the bumps in the road. Get more tips at GoodyearAutoService.com. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Time now for a Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons. Ricardo Torres, Mason Dixon, and Alireza Safat. Without you, what would we do? Well, we probably wouldn't make as good a show. So thank you. And for those of you listening who would like your very own Patreon shout out, please go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. (laughs) 
We're back, Star Talk. We got Chuck Nice. I got Gary O'Reilly and Matt Ginsburg. Matt Ginsburg is our our resident. Well, he's not in residence, but he's in arm's reach of Star Talk. He's our AI expert with his new gig at Google. But we've got him on here to just sort of unpack gaming and what role AI might play in the present and future of gaming. And Gary, I cut off one of your questions. Why don't you put that back on the map? So do the big casinos, when you play online, have their own AI program to patrol to make sure guys like me don't use my own AI program to win? So it's the AI police for the AI. (laughs) Yeah. Or or, what's to prevent them from using AI, right? To make sure you never win. And how long before we're in the weeds? (laughs) So let me tell you what I know, and and I don't know the answer here. I do know uh-huh. that they worry about this. Uh-huh. So there was a there was a guy who was just mopping up on one of the online poker sites, making money at a phenomenal clip, and they went crazy trying to figure out what he was doing. And yeah. there was an assumption that he might be a computer or using a computer. And it turned out it was just a guy who was really good at poker, and he won for a while and then didn't go so well. But they're very concerned about that. On the chess sites, it is a substantial problem where somebody comes along and they're using a computer and you can't tell. They just have a computer running in the background and they're playing chess online and they're creaming everybody. And there is a lot of interest in protecting the other players from that. So computers have a particular style of play and you you look for that. One of the things computers do in chess, for example, is they almost never play really fast. Even if they have just one move, they somehow, for some reason, the software is arranged, so it's going to take them a little while to get out of check the only way they can. And if you see somebody who just never plays fast, that's sort of a tip-off that he may be using a computer. So people try and figure out, I mean, they're aware it's a problem, and they try and figure out what they can do about it. It's a problem in computer bridge, in, in online bridge. There, you're not looking at computers, you're looking at people just cheating by calling each other up. Hey, I have the queen of spades. <laughs> and, you know, and you got to figure out if that makes sense. So, so in all of these cases, whether you're using an AI and not disclosing it, whether you're talking to your partner, you're cheating. And finding cheaters has always been hard and I think always will be. But people want to so, do it. So one, I, let me push back a little bit with you on the chess uh, setups. Because as I understand it, when you play a game, you, you are presumably honest about what your chess rating is, and then you play other people that have approximately that rating. And if you wipe the floor with everyone because you're assisted by a computer, your rating goes up, you can no longer play those people. And and it keeps going up until they will force you into a place where other people will have an equal chance of beating you because you're playing people with an equal rating. Because the rating tracks your success. So isn't that a self-limiting fact that prevents AI from running rampant in chess sites? Well, computers are way better than we are at chess. So if I wanted to do this, I would go to chess.com and I'd start an account and it would rate me at 1300. And let's say I can't play chess at all. And I would, on the side, I'd have a computer and I'd say to the computer, hey, play at 1500. Right. And then I would do what the computer says and my rating would go up to 1500. And then I'd tell the computer, hey, play at 1700. And I would always Mm -hmm. be a little bit better than my opponents. And there you are eating lunch while all this is happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> As you ascend. Okay. Yep. Yeah. There you and go. I would just march up the ranks. So, uh, okay. So, Matt, you've thought way too much about cheating. I'm a little worried about you. I worry. 
Well, we'll come uh, visit you in prison, okay? Yeah. Okay. That would be good because I'm going to be bored. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, was, and he was like, and by prison, I hope you mean uh, Fiji <laughs> because that's where I'll be. <laughs> kind of like a, a, an AI version of Andy yeah, Dufresne. Right. Sitting there, be just plotting and doing the, exactly. doing the governor's books and then finding his way. Yeah, wait, just to be clear, Andy, Andy Dufresne from Shawshank, um, Shawshank Redemption, Redemption. Redemption. Uh, the, no yeah. the novel written by Stephen King, just and the movie, which most people right. saw. Right. Okay, just yeah. and I just flesh I just out want to be equally clear that I have no desire to be in a prison somewhere where the warden is a horrible sadist. And all I can do is think about artificial intelligence while I wait for the guard to beat me up. That is not the future <laughs> that I that I really look forward to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That'll. But one way the guard doesn't beat you up, that one will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's better. That was a list of seven seven <laughs> offenses there. All right, all right. So so did we, Gary? Did we did we come through for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if AI. I mean, AI will be better at poker than humans. I mean, I kind of think we, we understand that now. So when we watch poker tournaments, are people going to care if AI is playing? So the, the World Chess Championship remains incredibly popular. People care how good Magnus Carlsen is. Right. And yeah. Um, because they're not giving a ticker tape parade to an AI yeah. algorithm. So I, but I will tell you, I don't get it. So my son just started playing chess, and he's having a great time playing chess, and he's playing chess all the time online. And I'm like, but computers are so much better. And, and he says, Dad, I don't want to be the best. I just like playing chess. It's fun. And I like watching other people play chess. Right. I think, you know, watching Usain Bolt run was amazing. Not, and, and it was just amazing. And there are, there are things that move faster than Usain Bolt. But watching him was just, it was like almost a privilege just to watch. You know, you know, Matt, I gotta, I have to deeply agree with you there. And not mm. that this is the first time I've have agreed with you. Um, because when you think about the vicarious participation in something, you want another human being to do to do the yes. act because you're a human. And my analogy here is the space program, right? It matters that a human being takes a step on the moon. Did you know that we had landers on the moon before that? But did, did anyone celebrate that? We knew it in the science community and the space community, but we were watching for the humans because they can come back and tell a story. You could touch them and you could, you, you, like I said, you could put them in a parade. So I, I got to go with you on that, that there's real value to knowing it's one of your own, your own species in, in a high, in a high performance so, but, but, act. But what about the fact that now we have computers that can experience and describe and tell that same story in a very human fashion the same way we I'm do. still not giving it a ticket tape parade, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think... <laughs> so... <laughs> I think the thing to realize mm -hmm. is um, how different computers are than we are. So when a computer plays chess, it's not playing like we do. When a computer plays poker, solves a crossword, plays bridge... They're just not solving things like we do. And I think Neil is right. That makes it harder for us to relate to them because they're aliens. And I think there's also a wider message, which I think is much more important. And that is there are things we're good at and there are things machines are good at and they're going to be different things. And we're going we're gonna to be able to solve problems working together that we can't solve by ourselves. 
I think that's incredibly important going forward. Games we are, are the world. Yeah. We are the children. <laughs> Let's solve the problem together. That's well, very. I'm sorry that's, to sound like that, but I think that's you how totally it is. sound like that. All right. Well, I'm, what do you I think agree, about this then? I think that's how it is. So, what do you think about this then? Uh, in light of what you just said, the grafting of uh, that same technology into human beings, so that our Ooh. intuition, our method of thinking is enhanced and augmented by the sheer computational power of an artificial intelligence. And we'll just make our mistakes that much faster. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that is horrifying. What you just said is oh, oh that's scary. Oh my God, that is so scary what you just said. <laughs> so this is this is this is sort of interesting and I think it's certainly worth trying. But if somebody said to me, I have a horse and it has all these amazing properties and I have a dolphin and it has all these other amazing properties. So let's make a horse dolphin. That mm -hmm. might not be the right thing to do. Uh, it might be that I'm, I want for the horse stuff, though. you want to use a horse and for the dolphin stuff, you want to use a dolphin. Wait, they and did that with the camel. The camel, that's a hybrid. <laughs> It's an idea hybrid, right? right? Sometimes, sometimes yes, but sometimes <laughs> you really want to, you know, we're good at what we're good at. And, and I have no idea, you know, Elon Musk wants to put microprocessors in our, in our heads. And I, I think I would, I'm going to be very interested to see what happens when you put a microprocessor in someone else's head. But I don't want to be early here. I'm going <laughs> to, no, you're I'm not, not a first adopter. No, I'm okay. not down for that. Uh, okay. Matt, your program, Dr. Phil. Um, crossword solver, but language is organic. It's always developing, right? So how do you program something to develop with something that incorporates slang and just goes in random different directions? But just to be clear, not everywhere does language develop. I mean, France has a, has a, has a, an official board of language that restricts the entry of some words and protects the presence of others. So you're talking about a place where free, where communication channels are free to utter any syllables you want to mean whatever anyone else thinks it means, right? So AI would not do this at all. So there, that's why we're better than AI because we can make stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> trying to find think, out how we can still hold on to our dignity here. Well, just think, Neil, words that were slang words, street words from the 50s, 60s, weren't in the lexicon maybe a few years afterwards. But now it's almost like a common part of a sentence. So we are our language evolves through street slang and it becomes incorporated. In I see what you're language. saying. Right, it elevates its way up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in a crossword puzzle, if I write a puzzle and I have a clever word that's recently invented but not yet in all the formal dictionaries, but everyone conversationally knows what I'm talking about, your Dr. Phil is going to miss it, isn't it? That is correct. Great. And it'll be a little bit behind. So there was a puzzle recently where that included the Phil GPSs. Mm. I think it was in the crossword tournament this year. And GPSs wasn't G-P-S-E-S, -E is how you spell it. And that wasn't in Dr. Phil's dictionary, and it couldn't get it. Right. And it viewed it as this random sequence of letters. Now, it can say, well, I'm so sure about the crossing words that I'm, it's got to be a G, it's got to be a P, it's got to be an S, it's got to be an E and an S. So I don't know what GPSs is, but I'm sticking it in because it just has to Everything be. Everything else right. works. Everything, Everything else, else works. works. So it's also the case that 
Dr. Phil's, you know, one of the things that happened this year with Dr. Phil is I started working with the natural language group at Berkeley and they brought in this, it's um, a machine learning natural language processing tool to do sort of question answering that is constantly getting trained on new crosswords, new data, new books, new everything. So you do see AI evolving and you see tools like this evolving. So it's not a static dictionary. And, and it's point. not, right. nothing, nothing is static. And, and by the way, it would, it would the same way that we become exposed to colloquialisms, the AI would be in that same position too. It might be a little behind, but it, at some point, it's going to have an exposure as well. And if you, yeah, and if you look at the work that you know Apple does with Siri, when you ask Siri a question, right. that Siri, that question goes to Apple, and it's part of their database right. of uttered language. So when you use slang. Off it goes. And the first time somebody asks Siri a question that has some weird word in it, Siri's going to have no idea. But then it just keeps getting, it keeps showing up. This word keeps showing up. Right. So Siri eventually figures out what it means. And is it true, is it true that, like, well, all the search engines who use the natural language, that when they ask you back, did you mean, right, when you put something in, it's because they're actually learning if that's how people ask for stuff? A little bit. Mostly when they say, did you mean, it's because they don't they know. They don't know? Meant. Okay. And, <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and their natural <laughs> language module said, oh, he might be mean this and he might mean that, and I don't know which one. Okay. And I'm just going to ask him. And then they're, they're just trying to do it. Okay, Matt, let me ask you, because I think I heard something, what you just said in an answer. AI doesn't have the capacity to guess. It has to be accurate. So I don't, so I think... Uh, one of the Berkeley guys actually put this incredibly well. Machine learning systems don't know what they don't know. So I remember, I so in, in the crossword tournament, the um, the humans solve the puzzles and then they get passed into a room where they get they get scored. And I typically do some of the scoring as well as running Doctor Phil. And I remember once I got a puzzle back, and it was done incredibly quickly because you'd grade it on speed. And I got this puzzle to grade and this, the guy had solved it in like a minute and a half. And then it had one corner that was just all random and wrong. And I remember grading it and thinking, this guy's an idiot. He took a minute and a half to solve the puzzle and he, he surely knew that this corner was totally wrong. And I looked at it and it was Dr. Phil's puzzle. It was my puzzle. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm the idiot. <laughs> And, but then the problem was that Dr. Phil had solved this corner completely incorrectly and had no idea it was wrong. It doesn't know it's guessing. It just says, well, this is the best answer I could come up with, so I'm going to go with it. And I don't know if it's right, but it's, I think it's right. It's probably right. One of my favorite clues that I've ever seen, it was uh, four letters, and the clue was to come in second. Lose. Yeah, it's lose. Lose. But, but that wasn't where my first urges were. Come and say, is it win, place, and show? Is it this, this? And we, when we, we don't think of the person coming in second as losing, because I guess it's the we want everyone to get a trophy or a medal or something. I think mm -hmm. in ancient Greece there was no second or third. You either won when you didn't win in the original Olympics. You're as just I have not. Read. You're not competitive. Second place is the first loser. I mean, that's really that's all there is to it. <laughs> and that's how I was. Oh. <laughs> Tough crowd. Yeah, yeah. Tough crowd. That's the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Jerry Seinfeld has a whole bit on that. 
you know, of all the losers, you came in first. <laughs> uh, so, Matt, tell me about uh, uh, random numbers and their role in this. So, do we have a perfect random number generator yet, or are they just good enough? We certainly have perfect random number generators, right? They're, no, they're I thought that was not possible. I thought well, that cosmic, possible. cosmic ray detectors are perfect. Oh, oh, fine, fine, okay, so, fine. We but not, not have, in a computer. We will never have a perfect synthetic random number generator. That's, that's what I was asking, okay. But, but you can come very close. So, for example, you can have a clock that measures time in billionths of a second, and you can look at the last three digits of that clock to start your random number generator. And that's, that's almost random. It's hard mm -hmm. to imagine it being meaningfully correlated with anything else. Right, right. And so this matters when you're calculating probabilities in your gaming uh, software, isn't that correct? Yes, because there are times when you need a random number generator. Going back to the, very, the example we started with, Nash equilibrium. You know, what you want is you want to be, say, you want to run a passing play 30% of the time and a rushing play 70% of the time. You need to flip a coin. And you need to decide, do I go with the 30 or do I go with the 70? And you have to generate a random number. So anytime you're you know, in a, a poker player, obviously, you can't bluff all the time. You can't bluff none of the time. You need a random number generator. But I think we, we have random number generators that appear to be good enough. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, I just wanted, that, that's an update for me on the state of that, of, of that effort. But guys, I think we're like actually ran out of time oh, no. on this subject. Speaking of right. random which numbers. tragic. <laughs> which yeah. is tragic. Run out of random numbers. <laughs> we just put in the last random number ever. <laughs> anyway, Matt, are you active on social media? Can you remind us? Um, I I don't understand social media. I I mean, I wrote a book, Factor Man, <laughs> that I try and promote on social media. I will certainly tweet about the fact that we did this today, and that's that's about as as clever as I get. I don't have okay, Facebook. And, and how do we find you? Is it just Matt Ginsburg? Or just MattGinsburg.com. And, at .com. And, and your tw Twitter handle? What do you have? It's Matt L. Ginsburg. And, Matt L. Um, Ginsburg, okay. And I think Matt well, Ginsburg well, was I, taken. And that's okay. <laughs> that's all I know. All right. And so uh, good luck at Google. Sometimes you need a little bit of that too. Thank you. I Yes, much appreciated. All right, guys. Gary, always good to have you, Chuck. And, 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 and Matt, thanks for being a good sport with us. It's always and fun. Literally always and, fun. and figuratively. You. And you know we'll come back to you because this is a hot topic. Cool. All I'll right. Be here. This has been Star Talk Sports Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Keep looking. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day, and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply, actual speeds vary, and not guaranteed.